Welcome to episode 185 of the GSD Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Jules and Stace. Running a successful business never comes without its challenges, but it also includes a lot of highs. In this GSD Entrepreneur Podcast, we explore both. We dive into what it looks like when entrepreneurs are committed to getting done. These are people who are pursuing their dreams, so we dig deep to understand how they are doing it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Once an artist, always an artist. During Janan McLean's formidable early years, she leaned into art and reading as escapes from the challenges life threw her way. As she grew up, she pursued art, but once married, life then led her into banking. She and her husband ended up living in the Caribbean islands for seven years, and while there, she found herself spending her summers creating art programs for local island elementary school children. Art seemed to continue to find her, but not just any type of art. A series of life-changing events enabled her to tap into the intuitive process behind the brush. Janan feels what she is creating, and often her art and her poetry sing the songs of one another. She is inspired by the water, and her recent body of work is strongly influenced by the surrounding salt marshes and beautiful florals along the South Carolina coast. Her primarily acrylic and oil pastels work is heavily textured, and the rich vibrancy of her pieces are felt through the beautiful colors and lavish layers. To see Janan's work is to be captivated by its unexplainable force that draws you in. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for hitting play on this GSD Entrepreneur Podcast. We're excited to be in your presence today. Well, not not actually in your presence, of course, but in your ears mm-hmm. um, or in your hearing. So I'm Jules, your host. No, I'm just the host. You're not the coast. I'm not not the coast. <laughs> I'm the coast. I don't know. It feels like one of those days. We're recording actually and. It just feels like one of those days where my words are kind of getting a little mumbled. Maybe it was a little too much fun this weekend. Maybe too much bourbon by the um, fire pit last night. I know. I know. So I am Jules, your host, and I am with my lovely co-host Stace in our studio. And we're recording, um, like, like it's so common these days, we are on a Zoom call with our guest today. So we are excited to be uh, on this recording with you, Janan McLean. Welcome to the show. Hi, ladies. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. We are thrilled uh, to get to know you. And a lot of times you say how we met the guests. Do you want to say that? Yep. So through, I don't know if you've heard of this thing that happened um, this year. It's called COVID. So, and we had to pivot so these, all these words, new words that we're, we're learning. Mm-hmm. So um, Jules and I started a weekly call on Thursdays, right when we uh, in March. And for 25 weeks, we had women show up on these calls, women entrepreneurs. And Janan was, I think she was invited by Andrea Serrano. Mm-hmm. So she showed up on the call and it was kind of, you know, love at first sight. And, and uh, she just was gave a lot to our group and we've gotten to know her, for, you know, kind of, I mean, just like any podcast we do, we, we try to not do too much research, but um, the things that we know about her, we thought she would be a perfect fit for our podcast and our listeners. Yeah. So Janana, we're, we're um, really excited to get some time with you and get to know you on a different level and hear mm-hmm. your story and hear more about your art. So Janan, so for the listeners, Janan is 
an absolutely incredible artist. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I love about her artistry is that typically poems go along with it, with her artwork. And so it sort of describes what she does. But during COVID, we got this, all of a sudden it was like pouring rain outside and we see somebody pull up and we're like, who in the world, who's pulling up in our driveway? It's, it's pouring rain out. And this was a few months ago. And we walk out to the front door and here's Janan walking up with, a, I don't even know if you had an umbrella, but walking up <laughs> this gift that she gave to us. And we were like, what in the world? And it is a very treasured possession of ours now. It sits, I'm looking at it right now. It mm-hmm. sits on our coffee table and it's a collection of Janan's art and her poetry in a coffee table book. And I mean, it is, um, you haven't done many of those, have you, Janan? No, that was my first one. It was actually a COVID birth thing. So I was, I'd been wanting to do it and, you know, running around, I I work another full-time job and I teach a a fit or I was teaching a fitness class. And, you know, you just, you always have these things you want to do, but that first two months of COVID, I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm home. So I just worked on it every day for a couple of months and put it together and, and published it, um, self-published it. And you know, what's so interesting is I felt that it was that special. Like Mm -hmm. I felt that it was one of, um, well, one of one, Uh, (laughs) I got it. I opened it and there was so much love attached to it that I started crying because it came at just this perfect time in our lives where, you know how sometimes you just need encouragement and from people who always encourage you, it's one thing, but from a quote unquote stranger, which, I mean, you weren't a stranger, we'd gotten to know you sort of over the zoom calls, but we hadn't ever met you in person. And so to get that kind of an outpouring of love was pretty significant. Yeah. I mean, it's replaced our wedding book. Oh, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, it is, the wedding book's like three books under now. It's and so true. This, I can it's, take a picture of it yeah, right now. It sticks yeah. out. I mean, it's the first thing people see when they walk in our home. Oh. And then along the side of that was a beautiful piece of art that um, we just remodeled our bathroom and it is hanging. Yeah. It, we, it's the perfect spot. And everybody always has to use the restroom, right? So that's as soon as they walk out the door, they see it and they're like, where did you get that? Who's the artist behind that? So yeah, we're just super proud to, to have this, the art and the coffee table book in our home and be able to display it proudly. Well, that, that makes my heart smile when, and it's really funny because you guys literally had never seen my face because I was always in my pajamas on those Zoom calls. So when I pulled up, you were like, who the hell is? <laughs> yeah, we were. We were like, who is this? And you're like, hey, because you knew us. You're like, you're, yeah, Janae. And I was like, oh my gosh, and it's so awesome to meet you. But, okay, so let's do this because we can, we can gush over you yeah. for a while because we just think very highly of you, but it'll, it'll be way more fun to listen to your story. So let's do that. Let's turn the mic over to you. And if you would, like we always do on the show, let's do this. Let's get you to take us back. Where did you grow up? You know, walk us kind of down the road of growing up and then through the highlights of how you got from back there to where you are now. How's that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, which, you know, is three hours north of here. And it was very much not what it is today, a a very kind of mill town, um, not much to the downtown at all. I grew up with immigrant parents. So uh, my parents, my mother really primarily immigrated from Palestine 
when she was 17 and married my father, who had kind of been a world traveler his whole life and, and lived in the States. Um, so being in Greenville, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of diversity and, um, grew up in a fairly strict, um, moderate conservative household where, you know, we didn't talk about our feelings or, um, flesh out, um, all of the things that we kind of do now with our kids. Um, but so I grew up there. It was, um, my parents owned a jewelry store for about 40 years. So I was a mall rat. <laughs> and, um, one of my early, one of my favorite things to do was to read. I would go to the little Walden books in, in the mall and read for hours, you know, when mm-hmm. my parents were working and I would go by the candy store, which was called the peanut shack. Um, and, um, one of my earlier art memories actually was at the peanut shack. They had an Easter egg coloring contest. Like you, you colored this, you know, big poster and I, I won and it could have been haphazardly because my parents owned the store next door and they loved me and I was there every day, but, um, but, uh, coloring and drawing and, and painting from a very early age was very therapeutic for me. I didn't realize it at the time, but I wasn't very good at a lot. I wasn't good at sports. My brother and sister um, were star athletes. I was the kind of clumsy, <laughs> more awkward, not good at, you know, my sister was an all-star basketball player. My brother was a fantastic tennis player. I just wasn't good at any of those things. So I think art kind of found me because it was something I I could do and be good at. And reading, um, was my next love. So art and reading from a very early age was, you know, a big part of my life Mm -hmm. and, um, a big part of a kind of an escape for me. I, um, I grew up, you know, with parents that were, that, that struggled within their own relationship and were separated many times, but, um, did end up staying married, but just had a lot of struggles, uh, amongst themselves. So there was a lot of, uh, turbulence and, um, unrest. Hmm. So you, you used art and, um, you said you use it as an escape and, and I can imagine you as a child, uh, Jules talks about this, how she used to read like Nancy Drew and yes, I had books that would just take her out and, and she'd sit on her hammock with her lemonade and ignore everybody. I mean, she's in, in a, from a family with six kids and just kind of ignore everything around her and kind of immerse herself mm-hmm. into this other world yeah. um, that um, not that, you know, not that she was trying to get away from everything, but just a child reader. Um, yeah. I can oh, just gosh. imagine you doing that. Well, it did. And it gave me, I mean, I think books do this for everybody, but it gives you, you know, especially those Nancy Drew type books or Sweet Valley High or those series, <laughs> all those books that kind of transport you in this world that, or for me, gave me hope that things could be different, you know, and that mm-hmm. things could be better. So, um, and, you know, kind of brought you to new places. I, we traveled a lot growing up, um, you know, because my mom was from another country and then um, my dad did a lot of work in Italy. So we would travel, you know, quite a bit from a very early age. So, but books kind of, you know, transport you to those, those places of um, idealism, especially when you're young. So I had a very hopeful, uh, happy kind of outlook when I was young, despite a lot of, um, turbulence and, and dissatisfaction within my own home life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So that's home. So did you stay in Greenville for all of your growing up years? 
Um, pretty much. Yeah. We were pretty much in Greenville. Um, there was a brief stint where my mom decided at 12 years old that she, when I was 12, that she wanted us to experience a little bit of her culture. And I think also, um, just take a break from, from everything going on in her life. So she moved us <laughs> halfway across the world for one year. Um, uh, it, it happened to coincide with the Gulf war. So there's a funny part in there where me and my sister had to like overnight in Paris and come back by myself ourselves because my mom was working at the store with my dad for that two month period. But anyway, it was uh, that was a, a tough thing on on me at the time because I was entering puberty, middle school. I went to a very Christian um, Quaker like boarding school type place. And it was, uh, you know, you were, I got in trouble for wearing lip gloss and, <laughs> and riding a bike. I mean, you know, just like so that was other than that one year. And um, my mom said we moved back because I, I every day told her how much I hated it. Yeah. Um, other than that one year, pretty much grew up in Greenville. And then I went to college at Charleston um, for undergrad. Well, let me backtrack. Um, I went to an art school called the Fine Arts Center, uh, which is similar to the School of the Arts here in Charleston. Hmm. I went to an art, art school called the Fine Arts Center in Greenville downtown, which at the time was really um, undeveloped. Um, my mom would call it, you know, dangerous. I had to fight to let her, you know, allow me to go to the school because it wasn't in the best part of town. And that was before there was really a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, reconstruction of, and revitalization of that whole area. But it was the most magical experience of my, my education, um, I think period, um, it was incredible teachers. One, one gentleman specifically, which I've referenced in a few different, um, things I've written. Uh, his name is Jim Campbell and he's an incredibly talented artist and teacher. And, uh, I had him uh, both years I was there and from, from a very kind of young age, he kind of met me where I was. I was kind of one of the misfits in the art school, the kind of, you know, the more shopping, uh, mall, more traditional type person in a school with a lot of people that were really far out there and piercings and tattoos and, mm. um, pink hair and, you know, whatever else, but he kind of, uh, would, would meet each individual person where they were in their life and help bring out, um, their story at that time. He was just very, and still is very inspiring to me. Um, but I wanted to go to art school. I wanted to go to SCAD or Parsons or one of the art schools, but uh, my parents were very adamant about, you know, that that's not a career path. You know, you, you can go to law school, med school, pharmacy school. Um, those are your options unless you want to pay for it. So I ended up going to college Charleston and I had a lot of different interests outside of art. I love journalism. And so I, I, I liked, you know, writing and, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, there's always that voice in your head that says, maybe your parents are right. And maybe you should kind of do something with a more predictable career path. So I ended up, um, going to college at Charleston and then, um, I finished at Clemson hmm. and didn't really do, never took one art class while I was in college. Funny enough, really? never, never took one painting class, one art class. I kind of said that chapter's over and I'm moving past that chapter. Um, didn't paint or um, that whole period either. Um, and it almost kind of grieve, like that was my way of grieving it. Like, I'm not going to do this for a career, so I'm just not going to do it. So I, I kind of put it away. And then um, I think, well, there were a couple of things that happened. I met my husband. I think when you, when you fall in love and you meet someone that's, um, 
the right fit, they have an incredible way of, of bringing out the truest part of you and the things that you love the most. And, um, I, um, graduated with a degree in journalism, um, thinking I would travel around the world and, and change the world. And, um, you know, and then I met my husband and fell madly in love. And, um, he lived in a tiny little cabin up near Asheville, kind of halfway between Asheville and Greenville. And it was a very romantic whirlwind romance. And I would go and he didn't have, you know, a TV out there. There was no internet. The cell phone lines didn't work. So inevitably I ended up reading a lot and then returning to painting. I, I think I mentioned to Brian, I used to paint, you know, and he said, Oh, I have a box of paints. And so he, one day he went, he was a uh, triathlete at the time. He did a lot of uh, training. So he would be gone for hours at a time riding his bike. And so I got out his paints one day and I, I painted the shed um, that, uh, that I had a photograph of. And I just, started painting and that was kind of my re-entry back into painting were those a uh, couple of years at the cabin just in nature and and finding that quiet and stillness wow. um and then i ended up we got married very young which i did not think i was going to do but i we fell in love and i got married at 23 my husband had a medical business at the time so we were fixed in greenville and, but I always, and, and he loved traveling. He had, um, he had built a school in Jamaica in this tiny little town called Treasure Beach um, with the Rotary Club. Uh, he had gotten a grant from the Rotary Club. And so we were traveling to the Caribbean. I fell in love with the Caribbean. Um, and he would do races throughout the Caribbean. So we, we would travel and I, I always kind of had this desire to live in the Caribbean and, and get outside of Greenville and just travel and do something. What kind, um, of, what kind of races, Janelle? Uh, so he would do triathlon. So it's like biking, oh, okay. swimming and running. And, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and yep. he was um, up in the mountains. They had, you know, he, he would ride with like George Hankapi and all those because they were up there. There were really great uh, roads for, for training up there. Mm -hmm. um, but so let's see. So I got my first job out of school was in banking. <laughs> kind of funny enough. I went from painting to writing to ended up my first, my first job was in banking and I ended up kind of navigating around and, and creating a niche role for myself, which was development lending. Um, at the time, this was at the height of the real estate market. Uh, developers were, you know, expanding into these resort uh, type developments. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of like the Ginn properties or the Cliffs communities in the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we were doing the loans for them and I ended up kind of morphing into this outside sales role within the bank. So I wasn't sitting at the bank all day. I was going out and meeting with developers and meeting with clients doing um, loans for them. Hmm. And through that process, um, there was a marketing company there called IMI uh, doing the marketing for these different developments. And that company, IMI, later expanded into the Caribbean, one of their first projects was with the Viceroy Hotel Group in Anguilla. Mm -hmm. And so we were all working together. So I worked with IMI, I worked with the developers, I worked with the clients. And Brian and I were, you know, pretty young. He's a few years older, so not quite as young as me. But um, mm -hmm. we didn't have kids. And I was like, gosh, how can we get that job? Like, <laughs> how can we get that job? How can we get that experience? And so after this was after a couple of years of kind of mingling, getting to know the different people at IMI, we ended up getting 
um, in on the last phase, we moved to Anguilla and um, took our Shet- Shetland sheepdog and we moved to Anguilla and we, we started our path in Caribbean real estate. And that was the start of it was um, there at that project. And so he left his he left his position, his his business to move to Anguilla and start y'all's real estate. He did. He had started it with a, uh, one of his best friends. And so at that time, they'd been in business about seven or eight years. And when the, a different administration came in, and I guess that would have been 2006 or 2005, it dramatically changed their um, their business because they were a um, they did a lot through Medicare and Medicaid and mm-hmm. the insurance companies, everything shifted. So it was actually kind of perfect timing because they were looking to get out a lot of DMEs, which is what they were. They did like durable medical equipment, like um, hospital beds, wheelchairs, oxygen. Um, A lot of those were getting bought out by bigger companies. So, so it was actually kind of the right time, the way that it all happened. So he left his business, um, handed it basically over to his lifelong best friend and business partner. And we left and we started on this new adventure in, in Anguilla. Wow. How amazing was that? It was really, it was really incredible. I mean, people, you know, everybody's like, oh, y'all, it's so hard. You're laying on the beach. We had, we worked day and then night. I mean, it was um, insanity. (laughs) It was total insanity. But we learned a whole new industry and we were able to um, meet some incredible people, Mm. travel around the world. Um, We started there and then we moved to St. Lucia, Bryant being the very much like leader director type personality that he is. He quickly got promoted. He was then my boss. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, um, How'd that work out for you. Yeah. It, it was pretty funny. Yeah. It was good. I met, cause I never wanted that role. So I, I, it was perfect. Um, and <laughs> no. we were in St. Lucia for two years and then we ended up, um, leaving St. Lucia to, you know, how life comes back full circle because Brian had done this project in Jamaica many years before the Rotary Club. He had connected with a gentleman named Jason Hensel, who started a company called Island Outpost with uh, the infamous Chris Blackwell. So Chris started Island Records. Um, Jason and him forged this hotel group and they were re um, developing a project there called Golden Eye, which mm. was um, which was where a lot of musicians uh, would go vacation. It was where Sting wrote "Every Breath You Take," and I mean it's oh, it's wow. a fam- famous spot. But it had been like a party pad for the stars, and and it was where Ian Fleming originally wrote the Bond novels. Mm. Um, so it was a historic property. It goes way back to Chris's mother, Blanche, and. Ian Fleming being very good friends and hanging out there. But anyway, he was trying to turn it into a profitable small boutique hotel. Mm-hmm. Jason contacted Bryant and I, we flew down, we left my mind, we went off on our own. And all that to say is when we moved to Jamaica and started working at GoldenEye, um, I started doing summer art programs with the kids there in the local community of Arakabessa. And that was, um, another kind of period where my art kind of came back and uh, I started doing a lot of different programs and raising the funding from, you know, clients that we had. Mm-hmm. And it was an exceptionally amazing experience. Wow. Um, 
So it's, I want to kind of back up a little bit. You made a comment earlier about people who are like, oh, it must be nice. You're like living your life on the beach. Well, first of all, you created your life to be the way it is. Um, and hmm. we, we get that all the time. Like um, with our company, our outdoor gear company, we have to travel and, and it takes us to, I mean, wherever, I mean, we're an outdoor gear company. So we're outside and doing amazing things. And we hear that all the time. Must be nice. You're on vacation again. And it's like, no, actually, we're working 12 to 14 hour days. And, um, you know, so it's, it's still the life of an entrepreneur that you may be living and working in this amazing spot, but that doesn't mean you're drinking Mai Tais on the beach. Um, Cause I don't know anyone that can just sit around and drink Mai Tais and just be successful. Um, maybe no. successful drinking Mai Tais, but uh, <laughs> yeah. so, um, so, but you, I mean, obviously that was, you know, you manifested that um, opportunity for you to, to go and travel and be in these amazing places. But at the same time you were building businesses and you were doing great things. Um, so I just, you know, I want to put it out there just because, you know, people see it on FB or Instagram um, doesn't mean, I mean, obviously we're not going to show you all, you yeah. know, all the bad things that are going on in the entrepreneurial world, but um, mm-hmm. um, oh no, it's a, it's a real, um, it's a real misconception. You know, we were entertaining clients, which was fun. And there were, there were lots of fancy yeah. wines and drinks, but it was, it was, you know, your life when you, when you were living on these projects, it was all encompassing. And so you were, if the air condition broke, I mean, Brian had to install a new AC in somebody's, you know, private villa. <laughs> I mean, like, I can't even tell you all the stories through the years we've, we've laughed, but, or going outside to take showers at GoldenEye when it was under construction and the workers being here like, oh shit, like, let me put my towel back on. Like, you know, it was not, um, it was, it was incredible and fun. Bryant wants to write a book called Ilexia, like dis- island dyslexia, because it, it was a, it was a seven year period of blissful, um, comedic, <laughs> stressful, mm. um, just incredible things. But, but, you know, there, the, there was also, you know, when you're in the Caribbean, like with those children I work with, many of them had never held a paintbrush. I, I went to the yeah. local elementary school and said, find me kids that love art. And, you know, most of them were just like drawing with crayons or pencils. And so mm. like to see, their transformation from the beginning of the summer to the end, we would do a little art show outside. And I mean, it was just, you can't, you, maybe you can get those experiences here, but I had never had um, an experience yeah. like that in the U S uh, so. Yeah. Wow. So what brought you, what, what made y'all decide to leave the islands and then where did you go when you ended up leaving? So we, um, I got pregnant and we were trying to start a family. I was 31 at this point. And um, the stock market had crashed. The real estate market had crashed. We were actually in Dubai um, about doing at a real estate convention for GoldenEye when the stock market crashed. Mm-hmm. And we, we were lucky enough that it was such a small project. We actually scaled the project back, but it had such a, a big following um, and a long history that we were able to do very selective marketing and a beach village and sell out in that two-year period in an economic crisis. So we were super blessed. But following, once we finished that project, it was kind of, you know, we were at a standstill. We um, There were no real estate developments happening. There was no um, Caribbean anything. So we, I got 
pregnant and we were kind of, I was very ready to come back and be near family and friends. And, uh, you know, we, you miss out on a lot when you live abroad, even though you gain so much, you miss out on the day to day and the week to week stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so we came back to, we had built a home in the mountains. Um, and so we came back there, which was in Northern Greenville County. And with the idea, I knew we, we knew we didn't want to be there. We got the coast and the water in bug while we were in the Caribbean. And, um, mm-hmm. we decided Charleston was a good fit. My best friend at the time lived here. She actually moved since, but, um, my oldest friend lived here. We loved Charleston. We, you know, come many times through the years mm-hmm. and it was halfway between both families. So we thought, okay, um, we're going to come there. This was 2010 ish or 11, 11. And, um, so we, we sold everything, moved here with baby, <clears throat> with baby Isla and we actually opened up an a organic restaurant in Mount Pleasant. Well, that's a whole nother chapter. We've lived many entrepreneur lives, but yeah. we, we opened up um, kind of the first organic cafe of its kind here in Charleston. I mean, people didn't even know what a green juice was when we opened. So it was a really funny, entertaining, um, you know, couple of years, we ended up selling the space and and we weren't making much money and grinding. I mean, that was, that's probably the hardest I've ever worked in my life. It was a seven day a week, 24 hour day job because it it was tough. What was the name of it? It was called Puree and it was right there on Chuck Dolly Boulevard Hmm. um, beside the old mustard seed. It's now Joey, uh, Joey tomato or what is What's the name of the world? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but I your daughter was your daughter was named Isla because she was conceived in the island. So we um, <laughs> when we stumbled across that name, I'd heard of it before. Um, Isla Fisher, I think, was the first time I'd heard that name, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that is the perfect name!" And her middle name is Grace. I always love that name. So her name is Isla Grace, and um, and at that restaurant actually was where I sold my very first piece of art. I had put some art up in there. Um, just for display for decoration and a young girl was like is any of this for sale and I was like no not really but I Brian and I were talking about the other day I was like man we wish we could find her that it was you know 24 year old girl I think she paid me a hundred dollars for the little <laughs> little piece of art wow you know it's so funny um you and I are definitely kindred spirits so we have a niece named Isla um, and they named her because her parents my brother and, and our sister-in-law they met on Isle of Palms um, oh. and so they work together there, but I also used to have a restaurant and the, um, all the artwork on the wall was mine and I was oh. off the wall. Um, and this was, you know, but my art came out of, uh, a, just kind of a hard period in my life. And I just started painting and throwing up on the wall and people would come and buy it uh, off the wall, but I didn't sell it for any, like mine were like $125. So it wasn't like, mm. um, it was, I I was, not, it was good art. I've got to see this art. I must see it, Stacy. <laughs> I would not say it's good art, but it, people that's bought it. That's not true. It is good art. Um, but, art but that's just funny that we, we're definitely kindred spirits in, in a lot of ways. So you guys started a restaurant here called Puree, had it for a couple of years. Somebody came in and wanted your artwork. Is that how it all started? No, um, but that, there were just all these little, <laughs> little kind of um, pieces along the way that kind of formed the puzzle. But but fast forward, I was a new mom. I didn't have time for painting. I was running a restaurant and Bryant was still consulting on a project in the Caribbean. Um, that was what was paying our bills. And 
we were, you know, going a hundred miles an hour. So there was literally no time for painting or I didn't find the time to paint. I should say it, it just wasn't in my conscience at the time. I always was like, Oh, I can't wait to paint again. I think when Isla was two, I, we did some finger painting together and, you know, stuff like, well, I put all my art stuff into her like crafts, like Pinterest stuff, you know, like make a bouquet out of, you know, cupcake holders or whatever, you know, like just, that's what, that was my art period for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward when she was, so we were these, you know, hippie parents, like eating all organic food. And, you know, I tried to be as clean as possible with chemicals we use and feeling like, um, you know, Isla, well, they told us the day she was born, she was like, this isn't to sound cocky. It's just, it's, it's just, I'm leading up. There's a point to what I'm saying, but that she was the healthiest baby born in all of Greenville County, all of her like APGAR scoring or whatever tests. Like she was fat. She was nine pounds. Like I, I had this belief, um, what I'm getting at that I had this very healthy child and that I was providing as healthy of a lifestyle, um, as one could for their, for their, you know, kids. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and this is kind of where it gets tough, but I, I, it's important, I think, because it all kind of goes together. But uh, four years ago, Halloween, um, we woke up and Isla was having a massive seizure. How old was um, she? She was five. Okay. She was five. And so um, she was having a, a very intense seizure. Of course, I, I didn't know what it was, what was happening. Um, it woke us up at, you know, five thirty or six in the morning. And, um, uh, I thought she was dying to make a long story short there. It was, it was, um, it was the hardest day or hardest thing I had ever experienced in my life. I, she wasn't conscious. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I called 911, the ambulance came, um, we rushed her to MUSC. She was still unconscious this whole time. It was about an hour of her being unconscious. Uh, no, you know, it's, it's all a blur. Now I understand my brain was in, you know, a traumatic place, which trauma happens when you think someone is dying. Um, I didn't understand it at the time. I just, it's a lot of it's blurry and a lot of it's come back, you know, much later, but I, I called, what I thought was my best friend, but a year later I found out was my mother-in-law. I mean, I was completely like in uh, shock mode, but talked to her the whole way to the hospital. It was, you know, it was awful. Um, we got to the hospital. It was Halloween. So everybody was, and that's, I've had to overcome a lot of stuff around Halloween because of this, but um, we saw a, a neurologist at the time and I'm fast forwarding through a lot of it. There was a lot of tests. She was still unconscious. Finally, she, um, they, uh, she, um, there, she's getting an MRI and, you know, EKG or all this stuff done, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. um, I, there was the sweetest black man. I'll never forget him that day. I, I pulled up and I, cause I drove behind Brian in the ambulance and, um, they, they would let one person in the ambulance. So anyway, I was driving behind them and I, I was so out of sorts. I didn't know where to park or where to go. And this man, and I was just a wreck and my pajamas, you know, full thing this guy, uh, this black, sweet black man, he said, ma'am, everything is going to be okay. I'll take your car. Don't worry about a thing. You go be, go find your family. And, um, there were two, two sweet black men that day. I don't know what that, that sign was, but that just, Hmm. uh, 
were just the kindest souls. Mm. Um, and so he, I, I, I'm in the state of shock. Um, we still don't know what's going on. We meet with this neurologist. Isla has come to at this point. They had injected her with a massive amount of Valium or something to get her system um, under control. And um, this is the most I've talked about it with 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 outside of my family. So it's it's. Um, I hope I'm not sounding scattered because it's just. Uh, no, thank you for sharing. Um, but uh, to summarize, this neurologist said she was awful. She was later fired from MUSC, but she was no bedside manner. I, you know, I'm like a wreck and, and she's just like, this is, you know, daily stuff for her, you know, just, she's like, we don't know what's going on. We've got to do more testing. Um, but because of the length of her seizure and she didn't have a fever, there were just some real worry. So we, we stayed in the hospital, um, while they ran all these different tests and, um, the uh, neurologist misdiagnosed her. her. Her EKG came back abnormal. Now, later we found out when you have a massive seizure, that can actually ha- be a result of the seizure. But at the time, you know, they're talking in all these, you know, medical terms. She kind of was like, this is what Isla has. She needs to be on this medicine, which is, you know, very hardcore, has a bazillion horrible uh, possible side effects, yeah. including like stunting your, um, you know, your brain and uh, anyway, all kinds of stuff. And, um, and you know, you just leave a place and you just don't feel like you mm-hmm. knew what the hell was going on or if any of it was accurate. That's how we felt. We so left. What, and then, what did they diagnose her? What was her diagnosis? I mean, well, usually epilepsy, you have to have two seizures. Um, so what was her diagnosis? It was, it was a type of epilepsy that she just jumped to this conclusion and said it was a certain type of epilepsy here's this medicine, take it. And we don't know some people outgrow it. Some people, we still have to do an MRI. This is still day one. You know, we don't, um, we don't know, or this is day two. We still don't know what's going on. She has her team of, you know, students. It, it was awful. It was just the worst medical experience I have ever had in my life. Um, horrible. Um, I'm so sorry when you're dealing with the uh, absolute terror that something's not right with your daughter and you can't get answers or the answers that you get aren't, aren't brought with any kind of care or concern. I mean that, how, how horrible for you. Yeah, it was, it was actually the event itself was traumatic, but I think had the experience there been, you know, as positive as it could be, it would have been Mm. a lot. I I think it was double the trauma because of the experience. You know, I, um, I, I feel like that um, when doctors reach that point of the, they lose the empathy, um, uh, they need to stop. Um, I, I remember I used to work in a nursing facility and the director got really sad one day because one of my patients passed away and I was there and I just, I cried. I wept, you know, even though, you know, she was an older lady that passed and the director said, oh, get used to it. And I was like, if you ever get used to this, then you need to leave. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awful. And I, that's, um, you know, and it's sad. And I think, uh, I think it unfortunately happens all too frequently, but um, I actually, because I teach a bar fitness class have 
had some uh, doctors that worked in the ER, and one of them told me, uh, she said, Janan, you are, you were got so, she was the worst one there. And then a few months later, she told me she was, they don't call it fired, but basically pulled out of MUSC and put somewhere else. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, so, you know, we're terrified at this point. So we, of course, want a quick fix. Like, let's give her, like, in my mind, I was like, okay, let's give her the medicine. Like, I didn't want it to happen again. You know, we were terrified. Yeah. Um, and she just was very, uh, the doctor was very blank. You know, it wasn't like she wasn't reassuring. She wasn't overly concerned. She was just kind of like, this is what it is. We'll figure out the rest later. Take this medicine in the meantime. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, um, it was, and she was wearing a Batman costume. So I still cannot see women and bat women things. I just have to like, Oh, and you know, she didn't talk to Isla. She didn't ask Isla any questions. She didn't, which is a huge, critically important. I found out later part of what you should do when an event like this happens. But, Hmm. um, anyway, my whole world came kind of crashing down in that one day. Um, Mm. I, I, um, was terrified and, you know, confused, didn't know what to do. You know, you have some people just like do what the doctor says and others no, you know, don't the opposite. Like this is, this is, you know, a a horrible trajectory. Like you cannot just, you know, jump on this life altering medicine potentially, you know? So anyway, got all these mixed emotions, mixed messages, but you know, you find that strength when you're a parent at the time, you just, you just do it. And Mm -hmm. um, even though I was crumbling on the inside. I, I mean, uh, my friend, a friend of mine named Natalie, who since moved to Colorado, she brought me, she's a Xanax to the hospital. And I grabbed, I said, no, threw it away. You know, later I was, you know, <laughs> on them for a few months. But anyway, at that moment, I was like, you know, I'm strong. I've got this, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. I'll deal with this. Uh, you know, that might be too, TMI, but anyway, you just find this inner strength. And so a good friend of ours, um, Michaela had, she said, you guys need to go to the Mayo Clinic. They're number one in neurology. You you need to get a second opinion. Um, Mm. You know, following that, I'm like trying to get an MRI for Isla MUC. It's taking like several days and had to have some friends connect some other friends to get us in. Her MRI comes back normal other than they have an incidental finding, which I later found out again was incidental just means like something to make note of, but it was, it was nothing to do with the part of the brain that causes seizures. So they weren't concerned with that, but that was the first kind of hurdle. Like, okay, she doesn't have anything structurally wrong, which can be a cause for epilepsy. Um, but so that was kind of the first side of relief, but you know, you're waiting on the results your child's in anesthesia. They're coming out. They don't know what the hell's happening. They're, they're throwing fits as side effects. It's, it's heart wrenching, you know, it's just, Mm. Um, it's, it's tough. Uh, so, um, that was Halloween a month later, we got, uh, we were really lucky. We got a, a several day evaluation at the Mayo clinic, which is number one in pediatric neurology in the country. Mm-hmm. And, um, to say that the experience there was night and day is like the biggest understatement. It was unbelievably yeah. incredible. Um, we went, we had our, our little Thanksgiving there. Um, the neurologist there, I'm, I'm summarizing it all. We redid tests. They said, listen, her, e, her EEG or her EKG, excuse me, um, came back normal EEG. Wait, 
I'm getting them confused. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, that came back normal. The doctor said, listen, the neurologist said, listen, we don't know what's going on. Here's the truth. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going on because of the severity of her seizure. It's more concerning than a, a child that has a febrile seizure or a seizure for two minutes or, you know, like hers was very severe. So we're not going to know anything for a while. He said, mm-hmm. you know, no, we're not going to put her on any medicine. Absolutely not. Um, he said, if, if this happens again, that would be a consideration. But right now, this is not what we're going to do until we have yep. more and more tests and more and more months that have gone by. He said, but for the next year, she can't take a bath on her own. She cannot sleep in her own bed. She, You have to be with her basically at all times. Wow. Okay. I mean, um, and, and let's clarify, that was them trying to recreate. I mean, it needed to happen again um, if it was going to happen. Isn't that correct? Yeah. So, right. So, so if you alter it with medicine and you're just putting medicine and drugs in her. And I mean, you're, you're never going to know what was the underlying cause. Um, and then you're pumping her with medicine. You don't even know it's going to work. Right. And, and also um, because of the severity of her seizure, the, the thought was she can't be alone because God forbid, you know, if this happens again, it could have, um, yeah. you know, dire, dire consequences. So, um, subconsciously I'm taking all this in, you know, and this is, you know, but subconsciously, which I, you know, through therapy a year later, figure out, I felt like I have to keep my child alive. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, what my brain did. Like I can't take my eye off her. And, um, so and my already health nut health advocate, yeah. Um, no TV till four, no food coloring. I mean, this was us already became yeah. extreme in a way that was super unhealthy. Um, but again, when you're in it, you don't see it, but I, I, you know, Isla would move the wrong way or be, her eyes would be looking oh, off yeah. to the side and I would jump out of my skin. You know, it was just, mm-hmm. um, on high, high yeah. alert. Yeah. High alert. And, um, and you know, you make these different marks. They say, okay, if you go three months, then it lowers your percentage by X. You go six months, then you're down by this. If you go nine months, if you make it to a year, Mm -hmm. then like 97% chance it was an isolated incident. Mm -hmm. Um, if you make it to the two year mark, well, anyway, she was discharged. Um, thankfully from the neurology, we had a neurologist here, uh, which we had to do several tests, uh, like three day tests with all these machines hooked to her head. And I mean, it was, it was a really trying six months. And then the following six months I was pushing at the time we were, we're still working on our project in Belize, but it was the height of that project. I was working, you know, 50 hours a week, traveling to and from Belize, Brian and I taking turns, me being terrified to be at home alone with Isla, having like my friend, Alexandra come stay with us every time he was out of town because I was so scared that something was going to happen to her and I was going to be alone, you know? And so it was just, it was months of this and going, 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 drinking lots of coffee to keep going. And then I hit a wall and, um, I could say it was kind of my collapse, but really it was my rebirth. I think, Mm -hmm. um, I hit a wall and just my body said, no, you know, stop. You can't, you can't keep going like this. And I, um, I went, my best friend who's a psychiatrist sent me to 
she said, Janan, I think you should go see a therapist. And I was like, I grew up in a family again where all that's kind of like, you know, not, not really, uh, they, they don't really believe in, you know, that whole, uh, side of things. So I, I, and I had this idea, well, if I go to therapy, that means something's wrong and nothing's wrong with me, you know, and I'm good. If I go to a therapist, that means I'm not okay. And you know, all these things, you know, um, and I went and, um, after a few sessions, you know, she said, Janan, you know, here's your brain. I think you, you underwent a trauma. And I, Bryant was with me at that particular appointment. And I, I, I literally left and was like, I'm never going back. These therapists, they just try to, you know, diagnose you with something and they want something to be wrong with you. And I didn't want anything to be wrong quote with yeah, me. Yeah. Like I, yeah. it didn't fit into my, you know, world. And, um, and then later she, she plants the seeds and I very quickly realized that's indeed because I was having flashbacks and being triggered, you know, by certain things. Yeah. And so I, I had to work so hard to, um, to accept that fact and then how to, how to help heal it. And so I, at the time I was seeing this person, I was having a really difficult time sleeping and, you know, I, I just was very anxious. And so I started doing um, legs up the wall meditation nightly for like an hour, like putting my legs up the wall, doing deep breathing, um, you know, calming the central nervous system down because I had no choice. Right. So I, I got to that place where I, I was forced into this kind of homework. And so I, I did it because I wanted to feel better. And, um, and it was through that process. So at this point, a year has gone by, we've made it to the year mark. Um, and still nothing, nothing had happened and nothing had happened. Her, her results came back normal from all the testing from the neurology here. We had, you know, it was like every month and every two months and every three months and then every six months. And every time I went to these things, it would re-trigger me and re, you know, cause they, it's just hard. And the, my therapist was like, okay, Janine, I want Bryant to go on these next appointments. Mm-hmm. Like you don't need to go. Like you yeah. need to, to take, you need to, uh, to me, it felt like abandoning my child, but it wasn't, it was just, oh. I, I needed Bryant at that moment to deal with the medical stuff because it was too, I felt every bit of pain. Yeah. I'm such an empath. And so I love, it was like breaking me every time I, you know, I, wow. Um, sat in that space and uh, because I the worry would go up I met the doctors I'm worried it doesn't matter what they say like I'm it's just like I was scared and Mm -hmm. so um so I we're at the year mark now and 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 that's a huge landmark and but I I still couldn't really accept that yeah um, she was okay. Well, I, I skipped over a couple of things. Um, she had been sick a couple of weeks prior to the seizure, not when she had the seizure, but a couple of weeks prior mm-hmm. and had been, and usually, you know, like within a cold or she would get better in two or three days. Like that's just, she had a great immune system, but for some reason there was like a few weeks we got all got really sick and she kept getting like running a mild fever and not feeling well. Mm-hmm. And, um, the neurologist in the, at the Mayo clinic, it starts with a P and I've blocked the name from my head, but there's a very specific thing that can happen sometimes with viruses. It can cause a delayed brain mm-hmm. issue. Wow. And that's what they believe happened oh. before the seizure. She'd been sick for a couple of weeks. Then at the seizure, she was fine. 
following the seizure, she was sick off and on for six weeks. And I kept taking her to the pediatrician. She was running like a low grade fever. And I was, and I kept asking them to test her for strep. And they're like, she, her throat's fine. We looked, she, finally, I went back for the third or fourth time. I said, please test her for strep. I will not leave till you test her. And she said, Janan, I'm so sorry. She has strep. I'm so sorry. And long story short, I think that all had something to do with what inevitably happened. Yeah. Um, but then I was terrified of Isla getting sick. <laughs> so, of course. So the neurologist said, you know, they thought it was this this very specific related to to viruses type of seizure issue. And so then my next thing was, okay, she can't get sick. You know, this is all subconscious. So I I'm you know keeping her as healthy as possible. She y'all she hit the year mark a year and one day, and I'll never forget it. After that year she got sick like two days, one day or two later, she got sick. Oh, I got triggered. You know, she just had like, I, it was like a cold. Why well, I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, take her to the doctor, strep test, everything, because she didn't meet the typical symptoms of strep. And, you know, so it's, it then became, you know, Oh, my child can't get sick because I'm afraid if she gets sick, that this, this horrible thing is going to happen again. And she, and she may die. You know, this is all like all subconscious. It's not conscious. This was, you know, a couple of years of pretty regular therapy discerning what was actually going on inside my body. Um, Well, I was just going to say, so did out of all of that, did that, is that where the art came from? Yes. That's where my art started. Um, Wow. in, in, in self healing, I think you always turn back to the things you love to do. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved painting and I've always loved writing. And mm-hmm. I had put those things on the shelf, but not only did they come out as a direct result of this, but it was a necessary thing for me, almost like breathing. It was my form of breathing through this, this mm-hmm. period. It was, wow. and it was, it wasn't until we hit the well past the year mark, I'd say a year and a half, maybe yeah, a year and a half into it all, maybe six months into my, into starting therapy and doing meditation that I then, um, you know, started painting as a need, not, a mm-hmm. not a like, Oh, this will be fun. Or I love to paint, but it was like, I was beckoned to yeah. paint wow. and paint in a very different way. It was painting how I was feeling instead of what I was thinking about or what I was seeing. It was literally putting colors that I felt would go together and Mm. touching the canvases and painting with my hands and crying while I painted. Um, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to explain. And sometimes I don't even, it's kind of disbelief. It's, it's, it was very of God or spirit or the universe or whatever you want to call it. The events that kind of led up to, um, because in, in uncovering all the stuff around Isla, what then started to happen is I went and uncovered all the stuff within myself. So I'm fighting or trying to heal from her trauma. And then I find out, Oh shit, I've got a bag load of traumas myself in here that I've never looked at. And, um, a lot of it centered around, you know, teenage uh, traumas that had happened and, and, you know, things that I just, I, I, um, well, my therapist said that I had an incredible ability to compartmentalize things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I had been in denial about a lot of things and just pushed through and, and her, 
that event happening as horrible as it was and and I would do anything to take it back in many many ways did direct the course of my life the last couple of years into um accepting and healing from a lot of things that have happened and that have happened to many people you know um one thing um, kind of led to another yeah yeah and unfortunately a lot of times that's how things are born out of trauma or situations hard situations um and obviously they tell the best stories um and that i mean this obviously enlightened you to your path where you are and your art. Um, I just encourage the, our listeners to go in to your website and look at your art and follow you on Instagram. And just, it is unbelievable. And I would love to see even take an art lesson from you because it's <laughs> so empowering um, and it's so beautiful. And there is not just a paintbrush on a canvas. There is a story behind every one of your, your, your pieces, uh, which is absolutely beautiful. And so, I mean, you, Yes, it was a hard situation and you would never want anyone else to go through it and your daughter to go through it again and your husband to go through it again. But what a gift that you were able to open up the opportunity for you to um, heal through art and actually um, give people the opportunity to to heal themselves through your poetry. Oh, I, I hope that's the case. And um, when I've received messages or, or um I mean, I, I posted a poem the other day and this woman, you know, just put, wow. And I, I'm interacting more too. And I said, well, uh, what did you, what did you read in this? And she said, well, it just, it just read complete love to me. And it reminded me of this time in my life when I was going through a really hard time. And then I met this other person that, you know, filled me with warmth and love. And, um, and I, I really hesitated posting my art or Andrea is one of the pioneers of my Instagram getting going. Um, she helped me kind of shed that fear. And then my poems were another level because, you know, art is, is completely interpretive, but I've, I've found that to be true with poetry too. I've written things that I thought, oh my God, people know exactly what I'm talking about in this poem. And they just end up really internalizing it. And, um, but I think my art really resonates with women, um, because a lot of it is about, um, healing the, the female body, the female form, uh, maternal in nature. And when I started painting, uh, I wasn't thinking I'm painting this and what started coming out were florals and marshes. Um, I think because those are two of my favorite things and that's what's always been within me, but that, that's where I find peace or in those, in those things. So it, um, started just naturally manifesting in that way. But, um, but even now, my favorite way to paint, like I just did a custom piece for a couple in, in California, and I try to really find out a little bit about their story and what they want this piece to mean to them. And I really try to put that energy into the piece while I'm painting it and really think about these people who are, you know, and, and often, especially for larger pieces, I'll end up talking to them for two or three hours and, and finding out, oh, it's about they lost a baby, you know, they had a miscarriage, they, they've gone through some, they're going through divorce, they're, you know, they've, they've had this pain, and, um, and they want something that mm. represents that, and so it's, so it's, it's been an interesting journey, translating my former art self to this new kind of intuitive artist, and, um, 
Wow. I left out a big part. There's a lady here locally named Faith um, who's an artist. And I went on an art retreat in Costa Rica with her. And that was the beginning of my explosion and into painting regularly was after I did that retreat. So that was a, that was that's, huge that, as well. That's, that's amazing. Um, so you, how do, how would people get purchase a piece of your art? I mean, they would commission you like, so each individual piece is painted for someone or do you have no. kind of no. one? Yeah. So a lot of them are commissioned, especially the larger works, but I paint weekly now. Um, and I post on Instagram and I primarily sell through Instagram. I've got a website and I'm working with a designer named Stephanie right now, um, to add the e-commerce portion to Mm -hmm. my site. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, most of my sales, like I'll post a piece on Instagram and then someone will message me and we'll go back and forth and they'll say, what do you have available? But that's all about to get a lot more simplified in the next, uh, four to six weeks or so, because you, you'll just be able to go directly on my site and purchase. So awesome, Janan. I love it. And, you know, it's so after hearing your, your story and hearing you for the last, you know, 50 minutes or an hour or so, it a hundred percent explains why I felt the way I did. And Stace felt the way she mm-hmm. did when we got that gift from you, um, because it had all of you or so much of you in it, you know, um, which is, which is just beautiful. So unfortunately we have to wrap this up. Time just flew, um, but let's do this. Um, a lot of times we'll, we'll wrap it up with some random questions. We're actually going to do it a little different with you because I think, um, you have a piece or two of poetry that you're going to read to us. Is that correct? Yeah. Do you guys have a favorite or do you want me to just pick one of my favorites? I want you to pick one of your favorites um, and read it to us so we can have the listeners get a a bit of who you are. Okay. Let me pull one up. Let's see. Okay. I lost my way as soon as the doors opened and the shadows muted the pretty picture framing awareness Concealing revelations revisited in hidden shapes, rather scars. Once stripped down to the underpainting, she was bleaker, grayer, yet infinitely worthier. Dear portrait, noble treasure, alas, requisitioning attention to the darker, most beautiful me. Wow. Wow. Is that a is that your own personal story? Yes, I would say so. There were periods, I would say, you know, through not only healing from Isla's trauma, but also another major trauma where I, or I just saw darkness and, and, you know, but I, I found light through writing and painting and deeper, more meaningful conversations with women. Hmm. But yeah, if, if there's one thing I can impart and I hope to impart through anything, whether it's words or conversations or art, it's that healing is an inevitable part of just being, you know, that we will heal from whatever it is we're going through. You do heal. Yeah. Wow. So, so true. Um, and it takes time. And when you experience significant loss, it doesn't ever, it doesn't ever take away the loss. The loss is never gone. Right. So I think, you know, while people say time is the healer of all things, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, because it's like, it, it does, I mean, life does go on, right? But that gaping hole of whatever that loss is, is still there. Uh, because yes. Somebody that you loved or 
that made a big impact on you or whatever, the gaping hole is still there and the grief is still there, but you learn how to move on in life with that gaping hole now in Mm -hmm. you. Yes. I think that's a beautiful way to say it. Um, And, and something I've realized to be very true for myself. I mean, my goodness, where you can look at things and stand back from them instead of living in them all the time, you know, and there were periods where I, and I think where every human feels like, Oh, you know, am I going to be in this place? Mm. But you're not. not. Yep. You're not, you're not. And, and there is something that life is wanting you to learn from and grow from. And it's, it doesn't, it's not always easy. As a matter of fact, oftentimes the hardest stories are what shape us the most, uh, which is, which is pretty crazy. My friend, we have to wrap this up, but what a treat to get to hear a piece of your story. I know that's not all of it for sure, um, but you have let us into a a hard part of your story. So we take that with kid gloves almost and uh, know that we've stood on sacred ground with you for the last 50 minutes or an hour and feel really privileged that you would let us and our listeners into a piece of your story that you haven't talked about much. So thank you. Thank you you guys. And it's, it's uh, you guys create such a safe place. And I think um, it was actually quite a lot easier than I thought. Mm -hmm. Ah, Well, good. Uh, I I don't know if this part's being recorded. It is, it is because we do want people actually, I'm glad that this is being recorded because oftentimes it's terrifying to think about telling your story. Right. But when you find a safe place to tell it, it's almost part of the healing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost part of the relief that comes when you're able to put it out there and somebody else holds it as sacred. So the fact that you chose to be vulnerable today uh, is is significant to us, and I'm glad that you felt safe in it. So I, I I did I did thank you guys so much. Y'all are Welcome. incredible yourselves, and um, yeah, you're you. such a blessing to our to our community and to my life personally. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. We, we appreciate that, Janan. Listeners, we will uh, link, of course, we'll link all of Janan's links in the show notes, um, which are just right there when you go to click on the play button um, on our website. Uh, but I would highly recommend you follow her on Instagram and check out her work and read her poetry because she oftentimes puts it on her posts, but it's beautiful. So, and, what a, and what a perfect Christmas gift to give. Oh my someone. gosh. Yeah. Um, that may have everything or may not, may have nothing. Um, but it's a perfect gift to give someone that may need that, that spark of, of hope in their lives or just a nice coffee table book. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. We have to wrap this up, but we hope you have an awesome week and uh, we'll be back with you next week for another episode. Thanks. Thank you guys. 